the book of Hebrews. And we're going to spend a few weeks here through this month. And then we'll head up to family camp. Many of you will mention some more of that at announcement time in case you haven't gotten a chance to sign up for that yet. We hope you all can come with us up the hill for that celebration time at the start of September. But today we're looking at Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3. And if you would, please stand as we read God's holy and inspired word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word today, as we continue to study it and ask how this applies to us, ask how this uh, magnifies your name and exalts Christ, Lord, help us to be receptive to what we hear and see. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is so good to see many of you here. Some of you have been sick. Some of you have been off for the summer at various things. Some of you have schedules that keep you weeks at a time away from us. And it just seems like we're seeing a lot of, of faces today that are faces that we love dearly. Welcome back to many of you. In Hebrews 13.1, we read that brotherly love in action includes entertaining strangers and remembering prisoners. And that Greek word there for entertaining strangers is actually just one word in the Greek, philoxenias, which simply means a love of strangers. You know, it says entertaining strangers. It means to really love strangers. And I find it interesting that one of the first practical exhortations by the author and realize where we've come so far has been really a, a doctrinal presentation, the sufficiency of Christ, a warning and, and an admonishment to be faithful, to endure, and to persevere. And so as we come into chapter 13, it's as if this is the, the final opportunity to give some encouragement the author has to the people. And the first thing that he says as a practical exhortation is, love strangers and prisoners. Why do you think that is? There's a big help to understanding why that's important by remembering, as I just mentioned, the context of Hebrews. Remember, they've been facing persecution. They've been tempted to walk away from Christianity rather than to suffer. And so chapter 13 places this love of strangers and prisoners within the category of loving the brethren. And that suggests actually, that the strangers and the prisoners that are being mentioned here are fellow believers as loving the brethren. In ancient times, you may know that people traveled for many reasons. Many traveled primarily for business. Others traveled for the specific purpose of spreading the gospel. But it was much more difficult than it is today. It's uh, true in this time that inns were expensive, generally hard to find, typically filthy, and of questionable repute. And as a Christian, you would expect 
not to have a fellow believer who is traveling in your region have to stay in a place like that for a number of reasons. One, the potential of compromising that person's moral purity, but additionally, it was simply dangerous as a Christian to stay at an inn because at this point in time in, in the world and in this history, the innkeepers, if they recognized that you were a Christian, many times would report you to the authorities. So the audience of Hebrews is being encouraged, show hospitality to these fellow believers. They're strangers to you, I know. They're traveling through your area, but they are your brethren. And as an interesting aside, Hebrews says, you never know, you may be entertaining angels. And that's clearly a reference, I think, to the stories in Genesis when angels came and visited Abraham, when they also went and visited Lot. You may remember from Genesis 18, Genesis 19, angels coming and they're on their way to, to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. They stop by Abraham and then they visit Abraham's nephew Lot. And in both situations, the angels did not come to either Abraham's tent or go to Lot working at the city gate and say, you need to care for us. You need to show us hospitality and entertain us. Rather, Abraham and Lot took the initiative themselves to offer hospitality. There was something about that culture at that time that was a part of expressing the love of God for others that you would take the initiative and quickly go, even if you didn't know the person, and show hospitality. Now, regarding prisoners, the author says in verse 3, remember them as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And again, ancient prisons, different than today. Right? You didn't get a whole workout center and, and three meals a day and, and so on. You had, unlike today, very little food. You had very little heat, very little clothing or provision of any kind actually provided to you. Instead, Prisoners were totally dependent upon friends and family members outside of the prison to provide them with much of what they had. And so we are admonished, I think a very practical admonishment, if you don't remember them, who's going to remember them, right? So especially with believers who are being persecuted, arrested, and, and being put in prison, to remember them means to think about them. And we shouldn't just say to ourselves, as maybe some of the Hebrews were tempted, which was, at least I'm not in prison, right? I'm thankful that I avoided uh, the arrest or I avoided being placed into to jail. Instead, we must remember these prisoners. And for the Hebrews, this was something that was going to require a sacrifice of them. Why? Because people were put into prison because of their faith, typically. And so if you were going to go and visit these prisoners, if you were going to show compassion to them, what were you revealing about yourself? You were revealing that you were aligned with this person. You were risking yourself being put into prison. It's one of the reasons why, if you look in some of the Pauline letters and so on, and hear Paul saying, you know, I'm so thankful that you were willing to visit me in my chains. He, he is recognizing not only their sacrificial love and remembering him, as the author here is saying in Hebrews, but simply saying thank you for being willing to risk, to sacrifice. And the author says here, 
because we are in the body also, that could mean one of two things. Some think it means that we're part of the body of Christ, referring to the fact that these are imprisoned fellow believers, the brethren. Or it could simply mean that as creatures of flesh and blood, we know what it's like to be in the body. We know what it's like to experience hunger and, and cold and so on and ill treatment. And either, either meaning fits. We need to minister to one another because we are part of the body of Christ and we ought to minister because we are flesh and blood and understand their needs. Now the historian Aristides once described the early Christians and he said, if they hear that any one of their number is imprisoned or in distress for the sake of their Christ's name, notice he said their Christ's name. So it's just, this is a outside historian making this comment. They all render aid in his necessity. And if he can be redeemed, they set him free. Now, that was remarkable to this historian who was commenting on Christian behavior. Wouldn't it be great if, if we were making the news regularly because of our standout care and compassion for the brethren? Now, the Hebrews had at one time, as we saw back in chapter 10, they had shown brotherly love to others. Chapter 10, verse 32 says, Recall the former days. In which after being illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproach and tribulation. So partly because you suffered, and partly, and this is an important part in chapter 10, while you became companions of those who were so treated. Okay? You, you used to do this, is what he's saying. For you had compassion on me in my chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. What happened? What happened to such a, such a positive start? Well, possibly the same type of thing that happens as Christ writes the letter to the church at Ephesus. Their first love had grown cold. But I, I think... More importantly, especially given what we've seen in Hebrews, there was an initial positive zeal that came with being a part of the Christian faith and what was spreading. And, and much like seed that's sown on shallow ground and, and shows that initial response, you had excitement in Hebrews and they were quick to sacrifice on behalf of strangers and prisoners. But they had begun to suffer and they had grown cautious and weary they were tired. And we often need that same kind of admonishment as they did. Because showing hospitality to others, entertaining strangers, remembering prisoners can be difficult and draining and even depressing. There is always the possibility that when, when you receive a stranger as a guest, and I think strangers for us, most likely would mean fellow believers that we don't know as well as others, that they'll take advantage of our hospitality or won't appreciate what we've done or will be slightly uncomfortable. But I don't see any of those situations even mentioned here. Instead, we are simply told, this is what it means to be a believer. You entertain strangers. You remember prisoners. You may find it interesting that the Didache, uh, a second century Christian document that was kind of like a worship manual of the early church. In that document, it says, and I, 
I shared this w with some of you who were here many, many years ago, because I think it's funny. Let every fellow believer who comes to you be received as the Lord, but he should stay only one day, or at the most two days. If he wants to stay on the third day, he must be regarded as a false prophet. Unless, the didache explains, he wants to work and make his living. When he leaves, he should not ask for any money. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. <laughs> I think that's funny. You know, it's, but it, it's a dealing with a, the both sides of what should be Christian life, right? We should be quick to take the initiative like an Abraham and Lot. We should be quick to show hospitality, be entertaining, especially even of strangers, those we don't know as well. And yet, the other side, the reciprocation of this is the, that people don't take advantage of that. One of the qualities for an elder, as noted in 1 Timothy 3, is that he is hospitable. But hospitality is not only the responsibility of elders. In 1 Timothy 5.9, we read, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as, and the short list includes, showing hospitality. Romans 12.13 says, Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Offer hospitality to one another. And then Peter adds an important qualification that we all need to hear. He says, Without grumbling, without grumbling, without complaining. And I like that because I think all of us sometimes are tempted to grumble at the thought of hospitality. I mean, for example, we'll just take one type of hospitality. Does, does the thought of having to cook and clean and get things ready for guests cause anxiety and frustration? Peter says, don't even let that thought start. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's interesting that he follows that up with, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And I think that's an important addition because not everyone is a fantastic cook or has a big house or possesses even the most winsome extroverted personality. But God has entrusted everyone to be hospitable, and he has equipped every believer with gifts. And so when we actually practice this entertaining of strangers and showing of brotherly love, Peter admonishes us to serve with those gifts, whatever they may be. So inviting other believers into your life and often into your home, is Christ expressing his love to them through you. That's important for you to understand what hospitality is. Christ expressing his love to his children through you. In whatever capacity God has equipped you, going to prisoners, other places where believers are in need, is also hard and takes work. So your life your words are expressing, they're ministering the gospel. And as you share these gifts, whether they are gifts of faith, gifts of mercy, gifts of discernment, any other gift, you're edifying and loving the brethren through Christ. So hopefully you've been keying in on the emphasis 
in Hebrews upon those believers who are strangers. Because it's very easy to care about and show warmth and entertainment to those whom we know. It's very difficult, I think, sometimes to show hospitality to a new family or an individual whom we don't know. And even more difficult is the, the one or the, the many that either their background is different than our own or they require extra effort to know and love because our tendency, friends, our tendency is avoidance. Our tendency is conflict avoidance. And sure, we'll say hi and we'll extend a friendly handshake, especially to a visitor. We'll even make some small talk, but then we'll typically move to the, the social circle in which we are comfortable. And so I want to stretch us this afternoon. Think about those to whom you have been hospitable this past six months. Were they primarily friends? Were they primarily family members that you thought would fit better with your family or be easier to entertain? Have you taken the time at church to visit with individuals and families that you don't know? Have you taken the time to deal with some things that have been in the past, maybe even trying to resolve conflict? If you haven't, then know that doing so is the very heart of showing hospitality, not just inviting over your friends. And about caring for prisoners, as I said earlier, the primary meaning of that verse is to show love to those who have been ill-treated and are suffering for their faith. We live in an affluent and tolerant area. And so there may not be many folks that you can name right now who are undergoing ill treatment and persecution for their faith. Maybe we're not far from that. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought Canada, right, you know, a year ago? But right now, we live in a fairly tolerant area. But there are probably some that are suffering. And we surely know of Christians around the world who are persecuted and ill-treated for their faith. And that ought to be something that's a constant burden on our hearts. Remembering the prisoner means that we desire to minister to them. And, you know, there are thousands of our brothers and sisters suffering in other countries. We hear about them every week. I know the author of Hebrews is writing primarily to those who are directly in our path. But our world has shrunk with transportation, with communication, with ease of getting resources and materials. And perhaps we can even expand on the term prisoner. Are there not residents in the nursing homes that we serve in Turlock and in Modesto who are isolated and locked into rooms? For some of them, it is like being in prison. They are at the mercy of friends or family coming to visit them because they certainly can't get up. They're at the mercy, many of them, of having someone actually come in with a machine to lift them up out of bed. Otherwise, they're laying there day after day, prisoners in their bodies and in their rooms. Could they use our encouraging love? Absolutely. Are there believers in our local prisons that could use a letter or a visit? Yes, I know that because I'm corresponding with several right now. So you have that opportunity. You can find and seek those opportunities. And we are to foster relationships with the brethren. In fact, it's in that area that we are to be shining in our love for our brothers 
and our sisters. We have some temporal things in common with unbelieving friends, but we have eternal things in common with the brethren. And our relationships ought to display the level of care and effort to do that. Hebrews tells us that we are to imagine that we are bound along with our brother, that we're bound with them. We must think about what it's like for them if I were in this condition. What would I need? And then be willing to meet it. And as with any command of God that stretches us, none of this is easy because, as Peter acknowledges, we are tempted to grumble. We want to leave this area to those who are gifted with the area of hospitality. We, we want to leave it to those who have less busy lives, who have bigger homes, who have the ability and the desire to do that. And it's real easy then to say that we don't have that kind of gift. We don't have that kind of opportunity and context, and thus we just leave it to others. But I want to suggest to you, as Hebrews 13 does, that everyone, this is written to all of those who are reading the letter, everyone is to be hospitable. Why? Because hospitality is one of the attributes of our God. Isaiah 25, 6 reads, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. In many of his parables, Christ refers to the Father as inviting his people to a banquet. We are told to look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And one of the greatest uh, traditions and practices of our faith, Passover, that later became communion, is centered around a meal. And we're told in Ephesians 5 to be imitators of God. So should that not be part of our character? An expression of love. In Acts 16, we read how Paul had been preaching in Philippi, and a woman named Lydia came to know the Lord through that ministry. And verse 5 says, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, meaning Paul and Luke and Tim Timothy and some others, to her home and said this, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And so she persuaded us. I like that. No one had to teach Lydia to show love to strangers. Her appeal to Paul, in fact, says, please, let me do this. I mean, talk about the opposite of grumbling, right? Persuading Paul, please, if you consider me a believer, come to my home. Let me show you hospitality. Why? Because when a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God flows into and out of that individual's heart and into this natural manifestation of embracing inclusive love towards others. And as we live out Hebrews 13, we do so because we are Christians out of love for God, without expecting anything in return. In fact, we want others, we, we appeal to others to allow us to do this because this is part of who we are. This is our identity 
as people of Christ. Even as Jesus says in Matthew 25, 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty, give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger, take you in, naked, clothe you, and so on? You know this passage, many of you do. And the king will answer and say to them, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So part of this whole element of being hospitable to others, of entertaining strangers, remembering the prisoners, is because these are of God's people, and even as we show this care and concern for them, we're actually showing that to the Lord. Lower down in verse 16 of Hebrews 13, it says, Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Sacrifices is what it's called. That's the language of worship. Loving the brethren is a form of worship. It costs us, and it is a sacrifice that we give, but that pleases God. In fact, Paul in Philippians 4 refers to a sacrifice. He speaks there of the gift that Epaphroditus brought from the church of Philippi to him in prison. And in 4.18 we read, Indeed, I have everything. I'm, I'm full. I'm abounding in, in all sorts of things from the things that Epaphroditus sent. A sweet-smelling aroma. Where does that come from? That comes from the Old Testament language of sacrifice and worship. A sweet-smelling aroma. An acceptable sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. Did Epaphroditus on behalf of the church at Philippi bring some, some meat to offer? No. It wasn't an offering at the altar, even though that's where the language comes from, that Old Testament sacrificial system. It's God saying to us, look, your willingness to be hospitable to one another is worship. A sweet-smelling aroma. You are acting as a priest of the kingdom of God when you do this. You may be wondering if there are any practical limits or, or cautions in this area. There are. Well, we, we saw a practical one in the Didache, but you know, in, in John's letters, in which we find some of the strongest admonishments and exhortations to be hospitable, actually, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, there is in 2nd John where the apostle warns his readers to be careful whom they do welcome into their homes. 2nd John 7 says, Many deceivers have gone into this world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. If anyone comes to you and does not bring the doctrine of Christ, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay? So you got the exception. Anyone have someone that fell into that area? Probably very few of you. And if you did, it was probably one person. The, the person that was you know, speaking heresy and, and opposing Christ in that way. I think most of us would find that that is not true of us. In fact, we find ourselves back in 3 John 5, where John says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. 
If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. See how he's using strangers here? People that were not common in their circle, per se, but people who went out, went forth for Christ's name's sake, who had not taken anything from the Gentiles and their support. So again, we see that same type of language as we see in Hebrews 13. And it says that John commends this man who he's writing to his name, Gaius, for having been hospitable and treating them as a manner worthy of God. And we've seen how God treats his people. So this is important stuff. Because it reflects on our faith. It gives God glory. It's a type of worship that pleases him. And that suggests there's a difference between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining a family says, I want to impress you with my home. I want to uh, impress you with my decorating and my cooking, my jokes, whatever it may be. Hospitality seeks instead to minister and say, this home is a gift from the Lord to me, my family. We use it as he desires. It's an honor to have those who call upon him grace this home. This is what we intended for this. This was about, you know, this is why we have this home is so that we can, we can do this. Entertaining puts things before people. It has the attitude of as soon as, as soon as I get the house finished, as soon as I get the new furniture bought and my house cleaning done, then I will start inviting people because I don't want its condition to reflect upon me. Hospitality puts people first. Don't have any furniture? Well, let's just find a place to sit. We'll sit on the floor. This house is a mess, but your friends come home with us. Entertaining subtly declares this home is mine as an expression of my personality. Look, please, and admire. And hospitality says what is mine is yours, and together we serve the king. And so a question I would ask you is, have you been thinking about this backwards? Have you been thinking about being hospitable as a type of entertaining? And therefore, what's keeping you from loving the brethren in this particular way has been embarrassment over a home or messy home or the lack of money to buy what you think would be adequate or desirable. Those are all entertaining concerns. Wendy fondly remembers the time spent, in fact, she was just talking about it a few weeks ago, spent with her grandparents when she was growing up in which they had simple conversations. They lived in a mobile home. They had very little space, simple conversations around a table. What they could afford was a little um, ice cream cone, a little bit of root beer occasionally, when they did the throwback Sundays on, uh, at McDonald's. Uh, I don't know if you even remember that. We were just talking about that yesterday where you could buy uh, cheeseburgers and hamburgers for 29, 39 cents. Uh, that was that a was time when she recalls it was not about the food 
or the impressiveness of the surroundings. What was, what it was her memory was her time with her grandparents. Now, you may be asking, is this really making a big deal about kind of a silly topic? You know, being hospitable to others, especially to those we don't know as well, remembering the prisoners. Let me tell you this. You already heard Aristides. Julian, who was an emperor of Rome in the late 300s, he actually, you know where hostels came out from? They were established because Julian hated Christianity. He hated the church. And the church was active throughout his empire in showing hospitality and charity to all people. And so he said to the Roman Senate, it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Christians support not only their own poor but ours as well, that the masses see our own people lack aid from us. That's what led Julian to form hostels. In a parable found by, uh, from Jesus in Luke 14, he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God's guest list at the things that he's hosting and, and feasting for us shows a, a disconcerting number of broken people, a disconcerting number of people who are not worthy of that attention. And guess what? You're part of that guest list. And so am I, like David was saying earlier. And so if the practice of hospitality is encouraged in Scripture, it imitates God, was practiced during the early advancement of the church, praised, in a sense, at least mentioned, by Aristides, Julian, and others, what happened? Where did it go? Well, in the Middle Ages, the rich entertained in order to make connections. And the focus began to move from hospitality to entertainment. By the time you get to the mid-16th century, John Calvin's describing a decline in brotherly love. As he comments on this particular section of Hebrews 13, he says, This trait of humanity has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men. For the ancient hospitality celebrated in the histories, you know, Aristides and, and so on, is unknown to us. And it is the inns that now supply the place of accommodation for strangers. And in the modern era, hospitality has been reduced to the government and to the public sector by so many. In fact, the word hospitality is the basis for the current word hospital. In other words, you now have to pay for hospitality. Benevolence organizations, government services created, just like Julian did with the hostels, to show acts of hospitality. And perhaps the death of hospitality came with the all-consuming busyness in which we find ourselves today. Even Samuel Johnson in the 18th century, mind you, once said, in a busy country, time becomes precious and hospitality, not so much value. So the friends, the question I have for you is, is, is this the way that we are going, especially as we come out of a time of isolation, a separation with this past 
COVID situation. When we love the brethren in the ways that we've looked at this afternoon, are we going to be noted by our community as ones who show this abundant love of God freely, joyfully? I want to encourage you to think about some ways to improve in this area and ask yourself tough questions. How can you draw the most people into a deep experience of God's love by the use of your time, your space, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be your home. It could be someone else's home. Maybe you live out of the area. Who might need encouragement in the midst of distress or persecution or setback? Are you greeting all of the people of the body? Do you spend only time talking with those whom you know well? Are you thinking about those who are prisoners, whether it's someone in prison or a nursing home or someone else who's in bondage of some kind? Freely we have received. And the Bible says, so we must freely give. That's my encouragement to us today. Let's pray. Father, as we think upon this chapter and these exhortations to us, Lord, I, I know that as we go through the rest of them, they are going to be just as uncomfortable as the first because these are things that indeed require sacrifice. They require us to be outside of our comfort zone. And, and Lord, our models tend to be things like entertainment rather than true hospitality. And so, Lord, I just ask for your mercies. I ask for you to help us to have a, an attitude that is quick to show love, quick to take the initiative like a Lydia like Abraham, like Lot. Lord, help us to think about, remember those who are in need, those who are especially in prison. And Father, may we, even as Lydia says, have that attitude of, if you consider me to be a believer, then let me do this, because this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And it's in his name, that I pray. Amen. Well, let me, because I have the bread up here.